The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. In the second of our series of shortcuts in the lead up to the US election, we are tackling the presidential race. So we're talking about the electoral college system and how the president actually wins the election. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Last week, Claire, we looked at the congressional races. So that's how the US Senate and House of Reps are selected and why they matter. This week, it's all about the big one, the presidential race. To begin, a quick reminder on what qualifications you have to have to be eligible to be president of the United States. According to the US Constitution, you have to be a natural born citizen of the United States, a resident for at least 14 years and be aged 35 years and over. But you're out if you've been impeached by the House of Representatives and convicted in the Senate. So just to be super clear, in case that whole impeachment thing makes people think, hey, wasn't Trump impeached? It's certainly what I thought. He was by the House of Reps, but he wasn't convicted in the Senate. And that's why he's cleared to fight in this election. Back to it, though, Claire, the barrier to entry isn't really very high. And in this election, there are 1,218 other people, aside from Donald Trump and Joe Biden, who have put their hand up to become president. Two varying degrees of seriousness. That's right. Kanye West, for one, might ring some bells. More on that in a bit. So is there a giant piece of paper, not unlike our Senate paper, where voters can select from 1,220-odd names? So that's not quite how it works. It's pretty easy to put in the paperwork to be a candidate for president. It's just a form. Mm. But actually getting on the ballot paper is a lot harder, and that's because the process of working out who's on the ballot paper is up to the states. So as opposed to here, where elections are managed by a federal commission, in the U.S., it's managed by each of the states. And it's a different process depending on where you are. But essentially, a candidate has to demonstrate to each state body that they have support by submitting a petition with signatures. In many states, that means getting 500 people to support your run and to demonstrate that to the election authorities. So you better tell us, did Kanye get on the ballot in many states? (laughs) He left his run a bit late and he is on the ballot in 12 states with a Christian preacher from Wyoming as his running mate. There's probably a whole other shortcut in that. This one is not about (laughs) Kanye. It's about Trump and Biden. So you're on the ballot paper, you've run a campaign and the people have voted. Let's take a look now at what it means to, as they say, win the vote. Claire, the US Electoral College. It has absolutely nothing to do with universities or colleges of any kind. It's not a place, it's a process. As we talked about in part one of the US election shortcuts, the Congress is elected directly by popular vote, but the president and vice president are not elected directly by citizens. When Americans go to the polls in presidential elections, they're actually voting for a group of party officials who make up the Electoral College. The founding fathers established the Electoral college process in the constitution as a compromise. In those days, some thought that the president should be elected by a vote in the Congress, but others wanted a popular vote of citizens. So it's worked out to be somewhere in the middle of those two options. Essentially, the process sees the public's votes converted to electoral college 
votes, but you're really going to have to explain that a bit more. (laughs) So before election day, the political parties in each state choose what they call slates of potential electors who are mostly just nominated party officials. Mm. So when a citizen rocks up, they cast their vote for a presidential candidate. They're actually choosing the state's electors and those electors have an electoral college vote. Each state gets a certain number of electoral college votes, partly based on its population. Yeah, it's a pretty neat formula. Each state gets one elector per member of the House of Representatives and Senate, and Washington, D.C. gets three electors. So with 435 members of the House of Reps, plus 100 in the Senate, plus three for Washington, that gets you to 538 electoral college votes. 538 electoral college votes. Don't forget that number. That's the important number. The other important number to remember is 270. To become President of the United States, you need at least 270 electoral college votes to win. And Claire, I definitely have more questions and there's a few (laughs) problems within all of this. Let's keep going. In 2016, Claire, there were 138 million votes lodged in the United States. How does that then translate into 538 electoral college votes? It's a little bit complicated, but basically all but two states have a winner-takes-all rule. And what that means is whatever candidate wins the highest number of votes is awarded all of the state's electoral college votes. Maine and Nebraska are the only exceptions. Let's forget about them. (laughs) Give me an example of one of the other states and how it works. Let's take California and its 55 electoral college votes in 2016. Hillary Clinton won 61% of the vote and Donald Trump won. The remaining 8% went to other candidates or were invalid. And what happened was Clinton got all 55 Electoral College votes and Trump got none. Which, if I'm following correctly, means the national popular vote doesn't necessarily reflect the Electoral College vote. And that is exactly what happened in 2016. If it was a first-past-the-post system on the popular vote, the Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton would have won that election. She recorded 65,850,000 votes compared to Republican candidate Donald Trump. He got 62,980,000 votes. So nationwide, Clinton got 2.9 million more votes than Donald Trump. So what's happened was Clinton ended up with 227 electoral votes and Trump got 304. That's because Clinton's big wins were clustered in a few more populated states like California. So the excess of popular votes didn't help her electoral college vote total. Trump, by contrast, won several less populated states and he rode that winner-takes-all system to victory. And that's not the first time that's happened. In 2000, Democrat Al Gore got more votes than his Republican rival, George W. Bush. And there's three other elections from the 1800s when it happened. So just to be super clear, the person who gets the most votes across the whole of the United States won't necessarily become president, something that can also happen in our elections here. But back to the US, looking to this 2020 election, it's not so much the red states, those that traditionally vote Republican or the blue Democratic states that are critical to the result. It's the swing states where the result could go one way or another. And that's where attention will be placed by the candidates and election watchers come November 3. So most states lean heavily towards one party or another. The focus is usually, though, as you say, on 12 or so states where either of them could win. 
And we will get into what those swing states are. You'll have to wait a little bit, though, Claire. That'll be our final squeeze shortcut just before Election Day. But before we get to that, there's been a lot of chat about the candidates' personalities. But what about policies? Yeah, not a lot about policies. Lots about coronavirus Mm. and, as you say, lots about personalities. But we will get into Trump's and Biden's policy positions in part three of this US election series. That's next week. Nice one. On to our recommendations. I keep, Claire, recommending our own podcast, but we've put the hard yards in to do them, Claire, so we may as well make sure people people know about them. Very true. This one's from a few months back. It's a really good overview of the US election. So the major US political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, and it steps through who can become president, how the candidates are selected and who can vote. Have a listen to that. I'll pop a link in your episode notes. There was quite a bit said about that 2016 election and mostly with the focus, of course, on how Hillary Clinton lost that for the Democrats. So I found a lot of benefit in going back into a Pew Research Centre paper. It's a US thing tank and it's well known for its work on US elections. Mm. It's got a really simple analysis of that 2016 election result. It's broken down by age and sex, race and education level. It's just good to get reacquainted with some of those numbers and how things can be surprising. Yeah, interesting to have a look there. For example, that more white women voted for Trump than Clinton. Yeah, exactly. If this has been helpful, please, please share it with your friends and family. It's not opinion. It won't start any family disputes about politics, just about keeping you informed. So we're keen for you to share this little mini series on the US election far and wide. More where this came from next week. We'll chat to you then. 